Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's episode where you will learn how to activate the heart's intelligence and reconnect to your inner wisdom. My first guest is Alethea Black, who was born in Boston and graduated from Harvard in 1991. Her father was a mathematician, and for a long time, she believed her name, the Greek word for truth, was his way of tipping his cap to the idea of absolutes. Then one day her mother overheard her and said, quote, no, we got your name from a TV show, <laughs> end quote. Her, her first book, a short story collection called I Knew You'd Be Lovely, is in its seventh printing and was chosen as a Barnes & Noble Discover selection. Her new memoir, You've Been So Lucky Already, is now available. She's a three-time Moth Story Slam champion, which I'm excited to talk with you about that. Black lives with her <laughs> miniature dachshund, Josie, in Southern California. And Alethea, I, when we first connected, I told you that there were so many little dinkies, so many coincidences that mm. drew, drew me to have our producer reach out and have you on the show. And the first thing that really yeah. struck me is so interesting is your connection to the Hudson River Valley and the dream guy. Yes. Yes. Well, that's where, that's where my story starts is in that Hudson River Valley home. Tell and that, that, well, it was, um, you know, it, one of the things I liked about opening the story there is that it was really a kind of idyllic life. And I had finally found the guy and I had finally found this beautiful lake home. And then I started having all of these mysterious symptoms that they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I just the, the doctors, you know, the tests were saying there wasn't anything wrong. They were looking at MS, they were looking at ALS because I had fasciculations. And basically I had um, a suite of symptoms that were, some of them were neurological, some of them were gastrointestinal, but most importantly, I could not feel joy. I, could, I realized that I was unable to feel um, the happiness emotions that I, that had been so accessible to me previously. And I think that what can happen in our culture is they say, oh, well, you, you can't feel joy. You need a drug. Mm. We, we have a drug for that. We yes, have a drug for that. We do have many drugs but, for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I just had this deep sense 
that it was a symptom, that it was trying to tell me that something was wrong, that it wasn't a symptom I wanted to stifle and muffle, but that something physical was wrong with me. And it wasn't a, a Prozac deficiency. That wasn't, that was not the physical problem. Um, so I did what so many people are having to do these days, which is I did my own research, right? We have the internet, which not only gives us all of this beautiful information, but connects us with other patients who are doing their own research. And you can really collate um, the science and collate information and compare notes. Um, so half the book is sort of this medical mystery of me trying to figure out what's going wrong in my body and why. And half of it is what my life was before that. So losing my beloved dad, who was this quirky mathematician, um, who incidentally set me up to follow my own path and listen to my own intuition and be, he was so iconoclastic and so mathy. If you've ever known any really, really sci hard science guys, they can be great because n numbers don't care if you wear white pants before Memorial Day. And <laughs> <laughs> And he he had no use for, well, we've always done it this way, so we have to do it this way. Or, well, society says that this is the way. He only cared about the truth. And it, that sort of empowered me to listen to my own intuition and when the time came and say, you know what? I, I know that you're telling me that everything's okay, but my body's telling me a different story and I'm, I'm going to listen to my body. I, and I think that that is what saved me. And I think that that really came from him. That listening to one's own body or listening to the inner wisdom is always the greatest counsel, but we, sometimes we bypass it, right? The will takes over and we don't mm -hmm. listen. Or you get afraid to trust it, right? And you think, who am I to, you know, I should defer to greater authorities than myself and take that Prozac or, or what have you. And I think that this, this who, and I, who am I philosophy is a little bit too deep-seated and we need to open ourselves up to listening to ideas from everywhere because we've forgotten we've forgotten the fable about the lion and the mouse right sometimes the mouse has something to add the mouse can add something so i want to go back to the hudson valley and ask you about the dream guy because you went on a journey that took you from the east coast to the west coast and mm -hmm. i hear in the bio or i read here in the bio it's you and josie so what happened? Yes. Well, part of the illness journey and part of what lent this story to a book is was that I had to lose everything along the way. So I'm, I'm in the house. I've got the great guy. I'm living the writing life, uh, complete with the wood burning stove and the, and the lake out the back. 
And when I got sick, one of the um, reveals, if you will, was that there was mold in the house. And at that point, I had been having such intense neurological and GI symptoms for long enough that when they said, you know, some, for some people who develop a sensitivity to mold, remediating the house isn't enough. The, these spores are microscopic. You never really get rid of all of them. If you've, in a sense, developed the equivalent of an allergy to mold, a lot of times the people can't stay in their homes. So we sold the house and then I also left behind all of my belongings because they had mycotoxins, which are the mold toxins, which are the part of the mold that causes illness. And um, that, so there was another layer of loss, but even so, then we said, all right, well, we'll be pilgrims we'll be spiritual pilgrims and we will make this work. But even the relationship itself was something that suffered along the way. And ultimately when I, the, the rock bottom was losing everything, but then coming back up from that. It's very interesting how uh, most of us find that place of authentic joy or authentic happiness or sense of placeness um, from the challenge, right? It's not something that usually happiness is not necessarily born from happiness. It's usually born or re reborn after something that's challenging and difficult. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. And he and I are still great friends. And he was a tremendous help to me while I was going through all of this. And trying to figure out what was wrong and, and really being homeless for a while, right? And living in a hotel and having all these wacky experiences, he was really a rock. And so someone said to me the other day, oh, that's so sweet that you thank the last of the last great men in the final line of your book. And I said, I said, of course, of course I do. I really think of him as as having saved me, as having been a big part of how I got through the hardest thing of my life, the hardest challenge of my life. It's quite an odyssey that you've been on. <laughs> yeah, yes. But then there's, I think that those portions are very meaningful, but then I tried to put a lot of comedy into the book. And so when people tell me that they were laughing and, and crying and then laughing again, that makes me happy too, because um, I did put a lot of levity and a lot of the the other side of the spectrum into it. You know, it's basically what I, I sat down to put the funniest, saddest, scariest, most interesting moments of my life in between these two covers. Right. So it's like a really long, great first date. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, well, depending, I guess the great part would depend on if you want to hear all of a person's stories in a single sitting. But when I did the audio book, it was just this incredible experience because um, it's not, you don't often say all of your own stories out loud in a row. And psychically, it was very powerful to do that. 
Well, I would imagine that, you know, as a writer, you, you tell these stories that are deeply personal and it's almost like, okay, you want to know me? You want to date me? Read this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, if, and if you call me after, then we've got something to talk about. That'll really be, yes, right. <laughs> right. You know, if that, if that's sort of passing the, the litmus test, you know, for, uh, emotional, uh, solvency. Yes. Yes. Well, it is, it's a very intimate thing writing a book like this. I've heard authors say it before, and I really think it's true. You get to know someone so much better almost through their writing than, than you ever could, than you ever could on a first date. If there's just so much of, even if it's a, you know, this book happens to be a memoir, so it's all the more true. But even when it's fiction, I feel like you get such a strong um, sense of the voice that has created the work that it's almost a more intimate way to know another point of consciousness than knowing the point of consciousness in the real world. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about happiness, health, consciousness, electromagnetism. The quantum of everything. <laughs> I'm, spe- I'm speaking with, with author Alethea Black, and we're talking about her new book, You've Been So Lucky Already, which is a memoir. To learn more about her and her beautiful work, please visit alethiablack.com. On Facebook, she's at alethea.black. And the noise that you hear in the background is Docs and Josie getting treats from mom. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. <laughs> To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about activating the heart's intelligence and reconnecting to your inner wisdom. My guest today is Alethea Black. Let's rejoin the conversation. Alethea, prior to the break, you were giving the backstory of the book and the journey. You've been so lucky already. I want to ask you about happiness as it relates to the quantum of everything, because You've got a, a scientific mind and you're doing some new work that really taps into this space. Thank you. Well, I sort of stumbled sideways into this aspect of it, to be honest, because I was reading about the human body and how it works. And there's a very, very serious movement in physics these days that basically says, it's not brain that creates consciousness. It's consciousness that creates brain and consciousness that creates reality. And that the more fundamental stuff of the universe is information. And this is not even controversial. You know, this is, this is becoming very widely accepted and there's tons of videos about the the simulated universe or the holographic universe or emergence theory um, that were fascinating to me. And yes, I did watch all hundreds of them. (laughs) 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 And, but 
a shift took place in me where I said, you know, if this is happening in the universe, it's happening in our bodies as yeah. well. In our, in our bodies, information is first. And matter is second. And what if we are information and matter, or if you will, light, energy, and matter spinning into each other constantly? And that and that is the central yin-yang of life, light and matter spinning into each other. So you have Einstein in March of 1955 saying that the distinction between past, present, and future it's just an illusion, however tenacious this illusion may be. Well, how can that, how can past, present, and future coexist? Well, one way would be that the past is here now, it's just happening more quickly. And the future is here now, it's just happening more slowly. So once you start to look at the, the quantum physics of it, then, and, and, Light's physics are quantum, right? They're not classical. Light, if you prod light in Sydney, it reacts simultaneously in soul. Because for light, every place is the same place. It cannot move forward in space. It can only move forward in time. So once I started to look at things through that lens, with the idea that we ourselves are light, I said, wow, maybe all illness is caused by the way we experience time. When light, Because, of course, light can't speed up or slow down. The speed of light, C, is constant. When light speeds up, time slows down. When light slows down, time speeds up. So maybe when we slow down, time speeds up for us, and that's Parkinson's. Maybe when we speed up, Time slows down for us, and that's ALS. Maybe cancerous cells, right? If there are these three time signatures that coexist, and we need to sync with time, if you will, and in fact, all wellness is about is syncing with time, then we can sync with the wrong time signature, our, our whole being, our central nervous system, or just individual cells. Individual cells can think with the wrong time signature. So this is the very short paragraph I was going to read for you. Now I have to say, this is not from the book. This, that sound you heard off camera is my editor fainting. The, <laughs> <laughs> this is, the book is a narrative journey of funny and sad and interesting stories of a life. It does not go into physics theories. The physics theories were born of the, the struggle that is described in the book, but we really didn't, um, we really didn't go into this, the science stuff in the book. So this is extra bonus um, hypothetical ideas for your listeners if they're interested in this type of thing. What causes cancer? You want the short answer? E equals MC squared. When we don't keep pace with the speed of light, our mass energy equivalents become skewed toward matter. Instead of gravity and electricity, we get their material precipitates, iron and oxalate. 
iron is in effect gravity in physical form. And oxalate, which is a crystal found in plants capable of photosynthesis, is in effect light. We might think of crystal as stored light, light that's cycling time more slowly than its own speed and is therefore material rather than immaterial. Inside cells that accumulate iron and oxalate, the DNA gets confused. It reads a high matter to energy ratio and syncs with the wrong time signature. The rest of the organism continues to adapt to the ever-changing dynamics of time, but these cells remain in the past. Later, if they want to self-correct, they're trapped by a pH paradox. And I talk about that elsewhere. Contrary to our perception, it's not that these cells mutate, it's that they don't mutate. They're still making time, but the character of the time they make is no longer in sync with the rest of us. They're achieving the speed of light, C, using an old equation that has more matter and less energy. It's still C, but it's what C would be if we were in a faster, higher gravity time signature. Cancerous cells are healthy cells that are cycling time too quickly at the speed of the past. Wow, woman. (laughs) 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 I'm embracing what you're saying. I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's, and it makes sense what you say. You know, we're not used to looking at biology through the quantum physics lens. We're not used to taking very literally, you know, every Easter we sing, we are the light of the world. And, but we don't take it literally. What what does it mean? What, What would it mean if we were truly light? Well, let's look at the mechanics of light. And I think that that's something, you know, I don't, I have no illusions that I'm alone. I know that I'm out on a limb, but I have no illusions that I'm out, uh, that I'm alone on this limb. There's so many people who are looking at the science of light and who are looking more deeply at the way the human body works. And I'm benefiting from all of them, right? Because I'm reading their work. That's the, that's one of the beauties of being connected the way we are in this age is there, there is no isolation anymore. We're sort of, you know, maybe I'm the hundredth monkey <laughs> or maybe the hundredth monkey is yet to come. But I, I really feel like the, if there is any merit to these ideas and that remains to be seen, it's because we're all thinking them together. And that's a central tenet of this concept as well, right? What yeah. is light? Light is in, Light's indivisible. It's infinite and indivisible. Light is light is light. And if we're really light, then I'm light and you're light and my mom's light. And we're all kind of the same light that's spinning into different versions of matter. But we're ultimately the same. And you know, what's interesting as you speak, I'm thinking about your journey. You know, we're talking about the book. You've been so lucky mm-hmm. already. This journey from from there was a lightness into a darkness, and then into the light again. And absolutely, which makes me think of that Leonard Cohen quote, which I'm 
trying to pull up here to read, which maybe you you know already, right? You know the one I'm thinking of? There's a crack in the world. Yeah, there's a crack in everything. That's how in the, everything. Yeah, that's how the light gets in. And I mm-hmm. think that's true. It gets in through the brokenness. Yeah. It and we're and and we all experience brokenness. And there were, you know, I my prayer life has really opened up and my sense of religion and sense of God have really opened up. And I was already a prayer when I got sick, but I didn't pray to be made well because I don't like to pray for specific outcomes. I just sort of put myself in God's hands and pray, may thy will be done because I never know if he's trying to do something with me and with this illness. But believe you me, there were days when I I wanted this mysterious illness that had laid me quite low mm. to be gone. But it it is true that the light reaches us through our brokenness. I mean, isn't it? It's really. It's been my experience. Too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm laughing about it now, but you know, there, you know, boy, I tell you, or I don't have to tell you, there are moments that are not laughable, right? Yeah. You yeah, better that better that really painful, but no. But me, yeah. You, you mentioned on the break that you have a new blog that you've just begun, you know, kind of more in keeping with this the quantum mm-hmm. the quantum of everythingness. And mm-hmm. I, I would love for you to share that that location with our listeners. Sure, sure. The blog is Welcome to Heaven. And it looks at the physics of consciousness and its implications for human health, but it does so in very layperson-friendly language, right? I'm an English major. I have not taken a science class since high school. So my sense of physics is is intuitive. Granted, my dad um, was a renowned mathematician and physicist. So maybe some of his uh, some blood flows in my veins, but I myself, you have to believe me, I am um, really an English major through and through. And I, I took an interest in this, and, but, it's, but my understanding of it is that of a layperson. And so I write about it in a layperson's language. And in fact, there may be Things, moments where I misspeak, I can just imagine someone saying, well, you'll say velocity and you actually mean acceleration. And because I, I am um, bringing a set of fresh eyes yeah. to this and looking at it in a new way, but I'm sure there are moments where I got the language wrong or got a, a concept sideways, but there, is, there are ideas there that I think are, are new in terms of what could be responsible for human illness. And I don't pretend that they're perfect, but I think they're worth having a conversation about. I agree. And to read the book, I want, I want listeners to go by. Oh yes. And the book. (laughs) You've been so lucky already by my guest today, author Alethea Black. To learn more about her work, please visit alethiablack.com and on Facebook, alethea.com. Black. Alethea, thank you so much for sharing everything that you shared tonight, actually. And and a good laugh. (laughs) Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. 
Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. are back talking about activating the heart's intelligence, how to reconnect with your inner wisdom. My next guest is Howard Martin. He is the original leader, one of the original leaders who helped Doc Childre found HeartMath and has been with the organization since its inception in the early 1990s. In 1999, he co-authored with Doc Childre, The HeartMath Solution, published by Harper San Francisco, considered to be a classic and the definitive work on the intelligence of the heart. And the book we're also talking about is The HeartMath Solution, the Institute of HeartMath's revolutionary program for engaging the power of the heart's intelligence. Welcome back to the show, Howard. Thanks for joining us. Lisa, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope we have a wonderful conversation today that all the people that are listening from around the world will gain something from. Well, that's what we hope. Let's talk about... What the heck heart math is? Because there are some people who say, you know, I think I've heard about that. What is that? Well, first of all, it's the name of our organizations. We have a for-profit HeartMath, Inc., and we have the nonprofit HeartMath Institute. And basically, these organizations are designed to um, to create and then deploy a system of tools, techniques, technology, methods, all underpinned with scientific research, designed to help people, you know, empower themselves really and and go through these changing times with more poise and more grace. So we do this in a variety of ways through training programs, through again the technology that we've developed, through all kinds of media that we do. It just goes on and on and on. And I'm really happy to say that you know we started out you know, with not knowing where this would go many, many years ago. And today we're what I call a big little organization. We have a lot of people working here. We have a huge footprint in the world. It goes all over the world, and there have been millions and millions of lives that have been touched by heart math in meaningful ways in all kinds of societal segments. So it's been a fun ride for me, having been here since the beginning, and the adventure continues. And when we talk about the wisdom of the heart, really what we're talking about is what? Well, think about it. You know, there's times in your life when you felt a, you know, a solidness in yourself, a sense of self-security, a sense that you can do things that maybe you thought you couldn't. Uh, there's been times in your life when you felt an intuitive nudge uh, to do something or not do something or inner promptings that you get about changes that you need to make in your life, those kind of things. Uh, certainly, uh, there are emotions that we felt that have been long associated with this concept of heart, like when we feel more care or more love, or especially in these times, more compassion for what people are going through. All those sort of add up to this wisdom that you, you, you talk about. In your heart's wisdom, we call it heart intelligence, an actual innate intelligence that we're all born with, that we have inside ourselves, that is essential for living meaningful lives. We lose contact with it. I know people listening now saying, wow, I feel shut off from my heart, or I feel like my heart's been broken, and those are all natural things that we will experience in life. My true belief is, is that heart is always there. It never really goes away. We go away from it, but the journey back home, 
defining that connection to that core intelligence we have inside ourselves can be easier than people think. And that's kind of what we try to do here at HeartMath is help people reconnect with all of that. And when we talk about core intelligence, we're really talking about trusting our gut, trusting the inner guide, our intuition, the ability to sense things without rhyme or reason that bypasses thinking channels and goes right to the core, right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, sometimes it's called a gut feeling. I was asked on another show recently, um, you know, is this gut feeling? And my answer to it was, I think that's a term people use, but I think what they're really talking about is a connection to the heart. And it does manifest in a form of intuition that you just described very well, Lisa, which is direct knowingness. When we have these feelings inside, it, it bypasses all. In these cases, all the logical linear back and forth that we often use and often need to use to arrive at an understanding, we just know. It's a solid feeling inside. It often manifests more in feeling than it does in thought. The thoughts follow later. But it's that sense that we get. I mean, you know, it's like, do we eat that second piece of cake? I mean, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, uh, And yes and no. So, the, you know, the heart's promptings are always there, and they do show up a lot of times in that form of intuition that's uh, more direct in, in reaching an understanding. Well, I would say the desire for the second piece of cake is not necessarily heart wisdom. That's that's desire, right? Well, it's also true. That's when the heart steps in and goes, really, do you need this second piece Aha, of cake or not? There we go. You know, there's your intuition right there. You know? Right, right. And what about the, the proof of this existence? Because you are also a research-based organization. Not only are you espousing these theories, but you have been able to prove them. Yeah, when we started HeartMath, we were introducing a heart-based system into a relatively heartless world. Uh, we realized heart had been talked about for a long time in a lot of different ways and usually very, very good ways, but yet it wasn't being adopted in ordinary living the way that we thought it could. We needed to build a bridge to give people that solid understanding and to give belief in something that they have inside. And we chose science to be the bridge because in our society today, in, in 21st century living, science carries a lot of weight. When something is proven through science to be empirically true, it increases the power of belief. So, yeah, we underpin what we do with science. We've broken this down into understanding the physical heart in new ways. We've really recast physical heart in a way that shows that it's more than a blood pump. It's actually an information processing center in the body. And the signals that the heart gives off are multidimensional. They are, and they do it, you know, at a physiological level in four ways. Nervous system that exists in the heart that communicates with the brain, uh, changes in what's called a blood pressure wave, hormones produced by the heart that give a biochemical communication, and lastly, an energetic one, which relates a lot to the spiritual heart. Most people don't know this, but the heart produces a lot of electricity. Uh, it's the strongest source of bioelectricity that we have. Um, this electrical energy goes to every single cell in our bodies, but where it gets really cool is that it actually creates an electromagnetic field that surrounds us in 360 degrees and extends beyond our skin out into space about three to four feet. So we're, wow. all, producing, we're all producing this field, right? I did and not we, know that. Yeah, and it gets even cooler because then – you know, that field changes, you know, the, the information in the field, the frequencies in the field are always modulating and changing. And what we found was, is that the primary uh, influencer of what's in that field is our emotions, what we're feeling. If you're feeling frustrated and angry, that field is very chaotic. If you're feeling love, kind, appreciative, compassionate, that field is very ordered. So in a sense, we're literally broadcasting our emotions through this electromagnetic field produced by the heart. And it can be measured. 
and definitely can be measured uh, three to four feet outside the body, and then you can analyze the frequencies in the field. Now, some things that are less measurable, but areas where our research is going is looking at the field beyond just this, you know, electromagnetic field. I mean, this field that we're measuring in is is being measured with very traditional research equipment called magnetometers. But let's just take a look at for a second, or at least imagine for a second, that we remove the boundaries of time and space. We approach this thing through quantum physics. Like, how far does this heart field really go from that perspective? What does it connect us to? Um, we know that all living systems are connected through a vast web of energetic connections. My belief is that the heart is our primary connector to so much other uh, of that life is, you know, to other people, other situations, to groups, to plants, to animals, and to things beyond our own planet. It, it's really interesting to ponder all that when we understand that we are producing a field uh, at the very core of who we are at the level of our heart. And I want to just mention one thing, that when you first – Describe this to me. I think about aura, but we're not talking about aura. This is not about being able to photograph color. This is about being able to measure electricity. That's correct. At the electromagnetic level, we're not talking about an aura and we're not talking about subtle energy. I don't discount the existence of those, but that's not what we're measuring here. One of the things that I love about how our researchers approached all this is they didn't go to the phenomenal yeah. early in the process. They built this on a solid research footing. And they built it step by step. And that's why we were able to do trainings in places that people wouldn't suspect that you could put in heart-based training. Uh, we train in all four branches of the U.S. military. We have alliances with major universities around the country. Uh, the biggest training market for us today is actually healthcare institutions, large healthcare institutions, hospital systems where we're training nurses. It goes on and on in that regard. And we would never be there if we'd approach this like through the view of you having aura, you know, right, right, right. You know, it just wouldn't happen, you know. Well, we're, we, this is this is not a woo-woo thing. I think this is where where I'm really going with this. This idea about tapping into the heart's wisdom to make us better partners, better parents, better better people, better community members, better performers, better workers. It is possible to apply this up and down. That's right. And there's a an in-house heart math term. I'll share it with you and the listeners now. It, it's a term where we try to bring things from sky to street. Yes. <laughs> Bringing the heart from the sky to the street and the street to the sky and meeting in the middle. That's exactly right. And we try to approach it exactly that way. We start in the middle, but we don't go too far down or too far up in the beginning, but we can expand to either direction because we come right at it through going down the middle. Do you have some techniques or methods, maybe just one, because we're going to go to a break in a minute and then we can come back and talk about others, that you can share with the audience that allows us to increase our heart intelligence? Nah, I don't think so. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course we do. There's a whole suite of tools, techniques, and all of that in the heart mass system in the training programs, certification programs that we do. The one that works best on a program like yours today is a very simple technique because it's easy to explain. It's easy for people to do right now in the moment, and it doesn't take a lot of time. And I know we have airtime considerations here on a program like yours. It's called quick coherence. Let me share the three steps with everyone. Uh, first thing I'd like everyone to do that's listening now, if you can, is to focus your tension right in the area in the center of your chest, the area of the heart. Just feel your tension go down there, right to the area in the center of your chest. If it helps you, put your hand there to draw your attention to that area. 
Now, with your focus there, I want you to breathe naturally and normally, but breathe deeply. A nice, steady, flowing, deep rhythm coming in and out. And as you breathe, take it a step further. I want you to imagine as if your breath is flowing in and out through the area of the heart, right through the center of your chest. It's called heart-focused breathing. You're breathing in now, breathing out right through the area in the center of your chest. Continue to do that. Let's take it to step three. This is where the, the, the real transformation begins to occur. I'd like you to try to experience a regenerative, uplifting emotion. And let me help you with that because it can be hard for people at times, but it's in there. Don't worry. It's there. Maybe appreciate some of the good things in your life right now. Like life is tough, but there's always things about life that we can all appreciate. Just try to feel that feeling of gratitude or appreciation right now for the good things in your life. If that's hard, maybe try to feel the love or care you have for someone or something in your life. Maybe it's your pet. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your grandchild. Maybe it's a close friend or a mentor. Or maybe it's a special place you go to at times where you really feel connected. Maybe it's in nature somewhere. And just try to re-experience that feeling right now as you do that heart-focused breathing. Continue with that. Let me explain to you what's happening in your body right now as you do this. It's synchronizing an important part of your nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. That synchronization is triggering hormones in your body that regenerates you like the anti-aging hormone DHEA or the regenerative hormone oxytocin. They're increasing right now as you do this. The signals that go from the heart back to brain are opening up the higher perceptual centers in your brain, giving you more access to your full intelligence capacity. You're imprinting the heart's field with that type of emotional energy. And as that goes out, it begins to magnetize and draw back to you more of the same and more fulfilling experiences. It's opening you up to more intuition. The intuitional field of information becomes more readily available. And as a result, you feel better. Stress levels go down. Awareness increases. Your ability to feel connected to wherever you are and whoever you're with is enhanced. And all that is happening by just doing those three steps. And I'll give you them again. Heart focus, heart focus breathing, and then the activation of a heart feeling. We're going to take that break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Howard Martin. To learn more about HeartMath, please visit www.heartmath.com, on Twitter at HeartMath, and on Facebook, HeartMath. The book we're talking about today is The HeartMath Solution, the Institute of HeartMath's revolutionary program for engaging the power of the heart's intelligence. Here comes the break. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? 
Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation with Howard Martin, we're talking about activating the heart's intelligence and reconnecting with your inner wisdom. Let's get back to the discussion. Howard, you took us through a very simple exercise to bring us in greater connection with our heart center, to access that intuitive space, that more kind, loving, balanced space. And you mentioned something through that exercise about being able to connect with whoever we are with through a process like this. And I think this is really valuable because in the climate that we're living in today, where there's an us versus them mentality, this approach turns it on its end. Well, thanks. I agree. I think it's an important subject. We're living in a world today where we're seeing a big momentum of, of people wanting to come together and wanting to create more harmony and wanting to create connection. And at the same time, we're in a polarized place in the society today where there's a lot of separation showing up. You know, I think the bridge between those is actually at the, at the level of the heart. So I think the first approach we need to take to connecting more with who we're with is to, first of all, make sure we're connected to ourselves. Mm. Let's think yeah. up with, you know, within ourselves. If I'm all stressed out and running around in a bad mood, I'm not connected with anybody in my space. You know? <laughs> so oh, oh, so be, true. So it'd be self-responsibility first. Let me get Howard straightened out here, and then let's see what there is to connect with. Well, <laughs> you know, activate more of the qualities of the heart leads to things like, um, well, less judgment. At least an attitude of being less judgmental about things. Certainly, you don't have to agree with people or like everybody you're with. And, you know, we're going to resonate differently with different people. That's part of life. But I think one of the aspects of the heart and the intelligence of the heart, it gives us the ability to be more neutral about all of that. Neutral is not this boring place, Lisa. It's this place where we're observing, but yet not deciding. You know, uh, it's where we're not forming opinions so quickly. It's where we're not assigning a lot of extra emotional significance to what we're perceiving and seeing. Um, so non-judgment opens the door for connection. I'll, I'll give you a quick story about non-judgment. Uh, just an example. There are many I could give, but I'll give you one. Many, many years ago, I'm delivering a training program at a military base in Texas. And in that program, there's a guy who's sitting there, and I noticed in the program that he's not participating. The guy is not opening his guidebook. He's not looking at me. He's not you know, doing anything related to being a part of that training program. And it bothered me, and I started judging this guy. And I figured, you know, this guy's, you know, he's not in uniform, so he's but he's probably former military, some you know hard military dude. He's not going to accept this heart message. On a break, the commanding officer came in and asked me how it was going, and I unloaded on him. And I said, it's going great, except for this one guy who's not playing the game. He asked me to point him out. And when I did, he says, well, here, let me tell you something. Here's why he's not opening his guidebook. He's one of our counselors, one of our very best counselors here on the base, but he's legally blind. <laughs> 
So there you have assumptions being made, judgments being applied to this guy. So I felt, you know, I didn't feel good about that. So I decided to go and walk over to him and, and, and engage him. And he said the most heartful things to me, something like, you know, young man, I want you to understand what you're doing is important. Please keep doing your work. The world needs this, the whole thing, you know. Wow. <laughs> That was his inner experience, but yet he was not open as God because he was blind. So when we observe behaviors of others and we begin to judge those behaviors rather harshly, we don't know the backstory. We don't know why they're acting that way or looking that way. And then when we get to more neutral places in that, you know, it opens the door for us to be able to see people through the eyes more of appreciation rather than through the lens of what they aren't, right? And so as we cultivate that, it doesn't mean we walk around liking everybody or liking every situation that we're in or liking you know a lot of things like that. But what it does is it opens up and gives us a higher, let's put it, ratio of opportunity to where we do connect. And we put that put that out. We find that there's some wonderful, beautiful things in just about everybody, you know, that we can learn to connect with. So it does start with us. I'll recap now. It starts with me being you know, more in sync with me, and then opening my heart a little bit, saying, "Let me appreciate what's going on here. Let me see if I can find something to appreciate about this person or these people that I'm with. If I don't find a lot of that, and they're still irritating me, then I at least try to go to neutral." And recognize that, yeah, they're doing what they do, but I don't have to add significance to that. I don't have to, you know, make, you know, a big deal out of that. I'll save myself from that and let them, you know, go through whatever process they got to go through there. That's the dignity of their process. The dignity of their process. Well said. I love that term. And then so as you do that more, then what you find is the connections start to happen. And then you begin to really resonate with people. Another example that I have for this is that, you know, I travel internationally a lot to speak. And so in many cases, I'm in a country where, you know, English is not the, the first language. That's for sure. And for in many cases, it's not even the second language. And yet I have these wonderful, beautiful, heart-connected experiences at times with people, and we're not able to communicate in the same language. It's simply the way in which we are approaching each other. It's the body language. It's the looks. It's the energy we're putting out of respect and consideration for the other people. And out of that, I've had some wonderful experiences. And how we show up. I think, you know, if, right, like if, if, okay, we're not speaking the same tongue, you know, but how are we showing up? That's right. And they get it. I mean, if I'm putting out some respect for them, let's say it's a bellman at a hotel and, you know, and I'm showing this guy some respect rather than go get my bag. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. He picks up on that. And there's a connection to that. Yes. And this and this connection or, or this wave, this heart wave, right, going back to the electromagnetic field that the heart is giving off permeates everything that we do. We can be the most efficient person at our jobs or at anything that we do. But if, if there's no love there, people know it. That's right. Well, let's widen it out then. If you want to go there, it's like we create an energetic field environment. Yeah. <laughs> and we have some control over that energetic field environment. Yeah, we're in, a, we're in other energetic field environments. But we have choices we can make there about how we're, going to, how we're going to be. And as we do that, we are able to actually influence that what we'll call energetic field environment in ways that engender more harmony and more cooperation. And it's just an act of, of service and a certain way to do that. But we get great feedback from it because then life gets easier for us. So we learned to, to recognize we're in energetic field environments, that we have our own energetic field environment. First responsibility is to maintain our own 
used the word dignity earlier, which I liked, our own dignity in the process of wherever we are, and then to put that love and that care out a little bit from the heart and see what happens. See if, if it doesn't help the overall energetic field environment that we're in. As we do that, connections increase. It's interesting that you mentioned this, and we talk about how it, it, it scales up and out into the world. Harvesting Happiness is made up by a, a virtual team. We have a lot of young adults that work on this project. And I was thinking the other night that we have a team member in India, and I'm going to kind of date stamp uh, where we're at because there's been strife between Pakistan and India recently. Another one of our team members is from Venezuela. And they're in their 20s, both of these team members, and they're very anxious. They're very worried about their survival in this moment. And we communicate almost every day. And they asked me what they should do. And I said, you should. I mean, this is going to sound very trite, but I said, you should meditate and worry about taking care of yourself because then you will put out energy that will affect your little corner of the world. And that's where you'll regain your control. Well, first of all, I assume that you know your staff listens to these programs. So yes. let, me, let, let me say hello, staff members <laughs> that are going through these challenging times. My heart goes out to you. My compassionate care goes to you in the situation that you're in. I also have friends in Venezuela, and I get reports from time to time about that situation that's there. And my heart goes out every time. So, yeah, recognize that you know these can be tough situations that you're in. There's a learning and a growth in that for you. Um, that you're going to come out better people in the end through going through the process. Feeling some anxiousness, feeling uh, down about it, feeling sad or depressed at times, even hopeless is all natural part of the process you're going to go through. But when you find yourself there, go have a talk with your own best friend, which is your heart. Mm. And just say, put your hand on your heart and go, okay, uh, it's not a good day for me, but I'm a good person trying to do the very best I can. And make that connection with that good part of yourself and recognize that it's all going to work out for the highest best for the whole and that you know you're going to be okay in the middle of it and find that sense of self-security and especially that self-love and that self-compassion that is not only going to help you but it is to lisa's point a higher form of service that's going to help other people in that same similar situation make those type of choices beautifully said and if you're not sitting in india or or venezuela if you're sitting in new york or north dakota or anywhere else, the same, the same words of wisdom apply. Exactly right. You know, we're very fortunate that our, that the problems that we have are pretty much first world problems. The problems that these young adults are encountering in their mother countries that they so love and adore is very serious. It is. Everybody's going through their various forms of stress today. And, and, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, there's stress that we are going to experience from external situations, but there's also what I call, you know, self-inflicted stress. Yes. <laughs> where we're making big deals out of things we don't need to, where we're judging people, where we're irritated, where we're frustrated over the smallest things, where our sense of entitlement kicks in and we don't get what we want and we got a right to go off on all that. There's all kinds of ways in which we create stress. Yes. Uh, the external stuff's going to be there, but when we learn to, to manage our own uh, stressors in a different way, it gives us the ability to increase our resilience and then deflect some of the bigger stressors that we're going to go through as a global society. And that we're not alone. I think what we're also tapping into is that we're really not alone. 
We are not alone, and that's part of why we do energetic connectivity research is, again, using research to, to make a point that people kind of get intuitively, but let's give it an empirical framework. And when we can show that everything is connected energetically, I think the punchline for me uh, is that it it's another recognition and realization of this term that we've heard a lot, which is we're not alone. But it brings substance to that term and recognizes that we are, in fact, never alone. Yeah. Howard, come back and hang out with me. We got so much more to talk about. I've been talking with Howard Martin today, one of the uh, original leaders of HeartMath. The book we're talking about is The HeartMath Solution, the Institute of HeartMath's revolutionary program for engaging the power of the heart's intelligence. To learn more, please visit www.heartmath.com. On Twitter, connect at HeartMath. And on Facebook, that's HeartMath as well. We're out of time. Lisa, it's been a blast. Looking forward to the next time. Me too. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Alethea Black and Howard Martin, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.